Now? Yeah. Now. Uh, we should. We shouldn't talk about it too much because shouldn't we be talking about that? As the show. Isn't well, that? When did it start? Huh. You're not, you're not going to give me any warning when you hit record. <laughs> um. Slightly unfair. It's good. I had a good day yesterday. Of, you know, making making crazy walls. Those the walls that I keep taking pictures of. Mm-hmm. Feels a little bit. This might also be the show, so maybe we've started. Um, a little bit like I'm the crazy guy in the police procedural when they bust open the room and the serial killer has like all the painting, the pictures up. I think that, yeah. A little yeah, okay. bit like that image. Yeah, but... Um, when did that image become like the sign of... Well, that's the thing, right? Because it's not... Organizing your thoughts that way or... Organizing your thoughts that way is not a sign of mental illness. Like, what you're thinking is the problem. It's not how you're thinking it. Do you know what I mean? But it's interesting. I actually want to talk about this, um, putting things on walls. Because uh, Jan and I, as you know, Jan Derbyshire and I are working on a show called Me on the Map, which is a show for kids about civic responsibility and um, and and inclusive design and design the design process and uh, we've been working she's been doing this graduate program in inclusive design and so some of the collaborators we're bringing into the process are people who are not theater people which is awesome we have a kind of genius software developer named Alex Leach and a mechanical engineer come designer uh, Larry Kwok and they're both so they both are coming to this project from creative disciplines but different disciplines altogether and so it's interesting because one of the things that we've been doing is making walls right like we could they call it a card sort throw everything out on a card throw it out and then organize it and to me it's not like revolutionary thinking here it's not like oh my god mind-blowing and so I was I was just kind of reflecting on you know trying to think back about where I learned about cards and like that kind of visual brainstorming and I think it goes back to SFU and I think it goes back to Mark Diamond for me at least oh yeah I think of it I mean I think of cards as um, as us when we were doing the when we were doing black box and we had our notes each show mm-hmm. had a card each piece had a card yeah and we would do the I still do 110 as a way to mark someone's <gasps> well now we have two show notes that we have to we put have in we have to explain we have uh, to explain what black box was is yeah is um, and and what 110 Earl's is it in Earl's? Didn't you bring it from Yeah, I brought it from Earl's. So, so explain Earl's. what 110 is so we, we'll ruin it for all of our chances to write it on people's CVs. Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. It's, I, don't, I don't use it, Jacob, so oh. it's really if you want, <laughs> what a wreck it. 
for <laughs> if yourself. You rate, it's okay. If you rate 110 on a write, – write it at home, 110, and then you can just make a no very quickly by yeah. making the diagonal. And then 120 is yes and 115 is maybe. Yeah. Exactly. 120 plus is like absolutely. Higher now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I used to go and work in like empty classrooms at SFU. Like I would into the quad and like find a classroom that was empty and, and use the blackboard. And that's where I feel like one of the places that I started putting notes on opposite sides of the room and then trying to connect them. Like that was very late night essay writing. So you have a very specific, it sounds like you have a very specific process. Like you, you spatialize the ideas and then, and then actually spatially get them closer together as you find connections. Um, sometimes more, that's more if I sort of feel like I know I have two things they do. It gets grouped. Like I'm just. I'm looking at the wall now, and I certainly tried to like break it up on the first day. So I was like, "This is Fun Palace, and this is mm-hmm. Summer Spectacular," and and now there are little pockets within each of those. But I don't know. I mean, I I think there were some essays where I tried to do that, mm-hmm. where I where I remember starting from like I'm going to take these two things and connect them, and so try to figure out how to do that spatially and I still I'll do that more on um, paper than Mm -hmm. like I'll do two major themes and then work through that and do you go vertical on the vertical or on the horizontal axis um like more like an outline or more it depend like ideally I would like it's it's starting in the middle of a page, mm. or starting on two corners. Like if I'm sort of working in towards if there's big ideas, I tend to put them in the corners, mm-hmm. and then and then try to get what's in the middle of those. So I'll do that way. It's really it's interesting. It's being here and thinking about this stuff a lot. Um, it's fairly physical and it's very mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm right. I'm mostly working in Sharpie because there's sort of no resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me think about in a way that like I never knew um, or didn't remember of being a child that I was dyslexic um, or that my mother was like, oh yeah, we dealt with that. It's like, huh, no memory of that. But it explains a bunch of things about me and phone numbers. Um, hmm. but also even in trying to write, like I, I realized that I'm like, oh, I'm, I just, I'm writing one word down that is only useful to me. And then here trying to write a little bit more because sometimes that word is not useful for me two days from now. It's like, hi, mm-hmm. I wonder what, I wonder what that meant when I wrote that one word down. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I was making maps like that for stuff at SFU, like for Wasteland, certainly. There were lots of notebook drawings of like, this connects to this, and this comes in here. Mm-hmm. Do you, were you guys, you guys were, you're doing it. Yeah, the designers love the index cards on the wall. 
Yeah, we did a we did a card sort because we were trying to uh, we're tossing around. The, this is kind of. I'm sorry. I'm starting about four different sentences, but it's because this show operates on so many interconnected levels. So there's the actual experience that the kids engage in on on the day, as they say. Um, but prior to that, uh, their teachers will have received a package that guides them through a design process and, and, and then a negotiation process. So when they arrive, they have a building, they know what it's for, and it's been designed for a particular piece of land. And all of those things have been, nego- have been negotiated because they all kind of fit within a matrix of, um, of the whole city. Like it all has to balance. So we're trying to to talk about different ways that we could include tools that would help the the students and the teachers to find those balance points. Um, and so we, what we did is we threw down every single quality of that we could think of of a city. Like what, what do you find in a city adjectives? Some of those things we pulled from some of the student feedback we had in the summertime. And we ended up with like, a, a huge stack of cards, probably a hundred cards. And then we decided, and then the next step is to sort them is to see what categories start to emerge. So we started doing that. So it's four very different people sorting one stack of one huge stack of cards. And what I found most interesting is, uh, what it revealed about people's uh, assumptions and associations between things. So, you know, who, where would you put the aldermen and the lawyers and, and the internet and the schools and, um, parking is essentially storage. So you would put, you know, like there's some, there's some connections that people were making that I felt like were very, uh, tangential or associative. Um, and so that was the thing I found kind of most revealing or interesting in the moment, like the, dy- the dynamic of the card sort was um, the struggle to try and find common categories. Um, practically, the next step is to uh, separate into all these categories, you name each category, so you collapse, you collapse each pile under their category, and then you just take the categories and see if you can expand out from them again and, and see if, if that makes sense. So, you know, whether or not we actually complete that part of the exercise, I'm not sure. But I was thinking of, of like, the, the improvisatory, revelatory action of a card sort is really interesting. Like, that would be a fun, I think, in my little tiny 9 p.m. brain (laughs) that it would be a fun thing to do with an audience to have like a huge brainstorm big card sort and then some very different fit people who think in very different ways sort them while verbalizing their sort logic you should see they're not doing it at all jacob ran mpme uh did a show called hospitality mm-hmm. the thing the part of it that they have been continued to doing is this record show part or record display part where they hold up a record and tell a story about it it's called mm-hmm. the dj who told too much 
or the DJ who gave too much information. Um, but they did a thing when they first premiered the show, and I guess for a while, where at the beginning of the show, you had to answer questions on sticky notes, and then they would collect the sticky notes, and then on the wall in the back, uh, they had sort of sorted, they would sort the answers by sort of categories, but -hmm. those categories had already been pre-planned. A lot of those processes, I mean, we did a bunch of stuff like that for Upper Toronto, like going through all these, affinity mapping is another way to call that process. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think a huge part of it is that it reveals as much, if not more, about the people doing it than it does about any mm-hmm. ontological truth. Like, it's it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, interesting, you think those things go together. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. We could talk about that. Like that's, it's one of those places where in the world of innovation, like I'm like, oh, this is a really useful process. I'm not always sure the product is so much better. Oh, you're either frozen or. Disappeared. You, oh, okay. I'm back. Are you back? I'm back. You were just saying in the world of innovation, and I think you were putting scare quotes around it. I was probably putting scare quotes around it. Well, because it's, you know, I guess like iterative, like we were talking about, and so maybe we'll talk about it again. Um, Terms come and go. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think the process of, of doing that work is really valuable. I think there's, it's not an end unto itself. No. And sometimes I feel like it gets, like it doesn't even necessarily to me produce better ideas than like two people hacking it out or sometimes one person making clear decisions. Like I think there are, it's not, it's great and it's good for certain things, but it doesn't mean it's a cure-all. No, and and certainly it was, for us, it was useful in the sense of, um, well, the second step is what makes it useful. If we if we were to go ahead with this particular tool inside of the teacher's kit, because then the big categories we made would become the categories that we would give to the teachers. Which so it all you'd have to like test that, test all those categories that they made sense to people, because um, people have very. Uh, what I kind of realized today is like, oh, I think that word means that because all my past experiences and you think that word means that because you have a different, like, <laughs> how old am I? Yeah. <laughs> so I just learned that, but it's right, right, different person. Different per- And yeah, that, I mean, we can joke about wishing at whatever age we are that that had come earlier but but also it's like it comes and it goes in terms of my ability to actually like what are you doing or why are we the point that i'm at right now in a lot of this is like why are we talking about what what these words mean like we we can get past that conversation about who's right about what the word means yeah yes i think we can get past it and i think um but I think it's important to talk about what the word, like I think it's important to define vocabulary or at least be able to 
I think it's an ego thing, right? To be able to go, mm, I don't understand how you're using that word. And then they explain and then you for yourself can go, oh, okay. And, but you don't have to argue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you like, don't have to be oh, like, well, oh, you you're doing actually, that wrong. <laughs> yeah, you actually mean this word. Yeah. Um, and that's what I, I agree with you. I think that that's counterproductive. But to be able to define terms is so important. It is, yeah. Good. I'm glad we agreed on that. <laughs> it is. I, I know. I'm, I don't know why I'm, I'm nervous about agreeing on that. I guess I've You're seen... I've seen and been a part of things that stalled on the definition of terms for mm. so long that. But, but isn't that what the Benedictine monks would do? Like they would talk as long as it took to define the terms before they even started debating. And and look at the great shows they made. I like. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think like, but also just to like, I think there's, this is something that I, like, is it, I'm not a monk. Like if I wanted to be a monk, I could be a monk. And even if I wanted to be a theater monk, oh, oh no, you're not frozen. <laughs> yeah, even if I wanted to be a theater monk, like that's a choice and I can go to the woods with, in Poland and try to find what's left of Grotowski's family. But I'm not that, and so, and I like to visit it. Like I like to come here to Banff and take the time that it needs. Mm -hmm. But there's something, and I and I. Whenever I say this, I feel very like I'm the efficiency monster amongst like being uncool amongst the cool. No, no, take the time. But I'm like I don't. Why I have short rehearsals. Then hmm. we have we have no choice but to make some decisions. Mm -hmm. Well, things will expand to take the time you allow them. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't know what I think about that, and I go back and forth all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why I liked working in radio when I was doing more freelancing because um, it's a small it's a short thing that uh, and it had tight deadline, tight turnaround. So there's a real sense of satisfaction when you get completion of whatever idea you're working on, and then it's done, and you move on to the next thing. It's not a three-year process. Like this, me on the map, we're probably going to be, by the time we present the show, it'll have been a, a, a four-year process from inception to first presentation. And, you know, I had a baby <laughs> and moved across the country. So... Um, and will it be four years before it like meets children or or do do you get so, to test it on children? Well, it's met children already, right. and children are involved throughout, and it will meet children again uh, at a prototype stage right. to use the design terminology, mm -hmm. but essentially a workshop phase, and then it'll that'll probably be the last children it sees until it opens. Although it'll see children within the rehearsal process. The difference between what the designers mean by prototype and what you and maybe like the theater world historically talks about workshops? No, I don't. I think it's a version. I don't know if it's a difference in uh, 
I think there's a difference in expectation of how it will perform. Yeah, to me, when I, because we used prototype on Antigone, mm -hmm. and partially because the script had, it was fine. We weren't workshopping the script, thanks. Mm -hmm. We were prototyping the production, mm -hmm. and that felt like a different thing than when I go to the reading for, at a playwrights unit where they've just done a workshop uh, where they are clearly not prototyping yeah. a production. They are working on a script in a very certain way. And that's different, like, different than, than if they were saying, this is a prototype, I'd be like, oh, so people are considering reading. That's great. That's, that's no, no, no. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I agree with you um, because, you know, we in theater love multiple meanings of a single word. Um, <laughs> I think, so we can argue about them. <laughs> yeah, argue about them. The kind of workshop that I'm talking about <laughs> is uh, that that the designer would call a prototype is the kind of workshop where you get the show on its feet and you invite audience in to try it out. Right. <laughs> so that's right. to be a prototype. But yes, yeah. it's a different. It is different than sitting around a script and reading it and getting gathering responses. Like we're going to actually have something to try to try out on people. That's the kind that's where I think that stage where you're trying things out. That is the prototype. That's the workshop presentation. Right. That's the same thing. Most of my shows like we develop them through these small versions and then they mm -hmm. sort of escalate or iterate. But we I never have called them workshops. Partially just nobody comes when you mm -hmm. call it a workshop. But when you're like, we're doing a show of this, then mm -hmm. like it's one day only. Like that, partially because I think the a workshop audience is such a specific group of people that mm -hmm. it's hard to tell if <laughs> what yeah. what had ju what just happened. We also sometimes use the terminology beta test as much yeah. as and you know, Marcus Youssef, who I work with at New World, hates it. It drives him bonkers. But well, I don't I'll, really care. I'll have to ask him why. Yeah, ask I've them been why. releasing all about all the Fun Palace stuff as beta. I talked about. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and um, the other the other um, kind of saying or thought from my rubbing up against the design world that I really like is the idea of uh, putting out the thing with bugs, with known bugs, and that the users through using it uh, fix it. Right. Which you see in apps all the time, right? Yeah. And so you know that it's not perfect. You put it out there. People write and go like, and then you write a version that fixes that. And then you keep going that. I love that idea. Yeah. And I mean, hopefully, I mean, the problem with it, which is no different than maybe the problem in theater, I think, I mean, Broadway does that, right? Then it opens in some small town and sees how it does and and tarragon previews for two weeks and that's when the writer is most important again mm -hmm. uh, so in some ways i think they're doing that because and also it's it's a, a very new thing around user amount like siri as a apple like mm -hmm. thing they released that was sort of terrible Mm -hmm. at the first time it's like it just hadn't heard enough voices and there's no amount of planning that you could do or testing that is no. the world like you can't test what the impact of a million cars is like, like there's mm -hmm. no way to 
set that up and see mm -hmm. what happens for 20 years. Um, and it feels a bit like this acknowledges that that's also true of a show. You can't tell if the show is going to work in the studio. Like you just can't, you can craft, you can put some craft into it, mm -hmm. but until it's front in front of people. Oh, I was talking to our very good and old friend, Tony Roslow today, who oh, is studying to be a doctor. And we were talking about the legalization of marijuana. And she said that one of the reasons that doctors kind of go like, uh, <laughs> is because since it's unregulated, there's no, and there's so many different strains and there's so many different THC levels and, and other things and that it's, there's so many variables that it is difficult to think about dosage. And I hadn't really thought of that, and, and it makes sense. And, and it also, to me, kind of transferred over to what you're talking about, that there are so many variables in a live performance. In fact, the more performers you have, the more variables there are. Um, and, yeah, how can you... It's, it, is, it feels like alchemy, and and the trust of like that it's all going to come into focus or partially into focus or in focus enough that you can tune it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the tuning is a nice. If people want non-computer metaphors, you know, I think the theater process in part means that you know you're going to land where you need to land at opening. Like that's the that's the thing and and my experience in dance is that's often a terrifying possibility that you won't <laughs> right and, and you you almost always do but because the writing you know any any creation piece i guess because the a first premiere which i think is the writing to get to first premiere is so hard i mean i i don't and that's another reason to do the iterative, the beta testing stuff, as far as I'm concerned, is to, I don't, you know, when we did Dedicated, we opened at our most tired, mm -hmm. at our most cranky with each other, mm -hmm. at our most, like, open wound of ego. Mm -hmm. and, and so when we came back nine months later to tour, we watched a video, we cut 15 minutes, of material that nobody missed, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we could just go, Oh, that th I'm going to stop doing that. That was stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, like the, whereas if somebody had, that would have caused a huge problem on opening night. If, if one of us had identified, had properly identified things that were going weird. And so it wasn't until both the distance and just the time on deck to see like, Oh, that I can't make that joke land or I can't make that moment. That moment isn't working. So let's fix it. Mm -hmm. when do you switch between trying to fix something that might be broken and just move on right so um, the fix versus the cut yeah um I 
I don't know, Jacob. I think. <laughs> Damn it. I think Some that. Answers. I mean, you fix it. It's like a relationship, though, right? Like, how committed are you? How important is this moment to the idea, the overall idea? And if it's really important, then you're going to be more invested in fixing. If it's not really that important, then just cut it and move on. Like if you, you know, try a couple things and like, you know, it's not really working. It doesn't really matter that much. It'd be funny if it worked, but it's not working. So better luck next time. That's, I guess that's how I would say it. And then, and then you sleep on it, right? Do we miss it? Yeah. Or, because sometimes it's only when you take everything out and then you go, because I have to say like, the super clean, I've seen this happen in, in script development processes where I've seen scripts that are kind of messy and idiosyncratic and, and feel kind of alive. And then, you know, two or three years later, they've been really tightened up and clean and the themes are all in line and the characters are all in line. But there's something that's been lost because, and this is a Norman Armour thing that he, and maybe he probably got it from someone else too, is that people don't make sense all the time. And so he talked about always putting something in your character that doesn't make any sense. Like one moment that isn't logical or doesn't follow or because that is actually what people are like. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, that process of iteration inside that kind of workshop is, is scary to me because I feel like that stuff would actually stay if you were just showing it in front of people. Like the idiosyncrasies. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that the, though, but it depends on the audience because I think, that there's a lot of desire for tidy packages. I know I like tidy packages, but I also like being able to make my own package, right? And so there's certainly shows where I've seen that I have thought in the moment of them, like, what the heck does that have to do with that? Does that, oh, but, oh. And, and that's such a beautiful moment where suddenly you are led to a place or somehow find yourself in an amazing connection or web of ideas and and in that moment not feeling like I really know how I got there. Yeah, yeah. And As that a, and that seems much more I mean that it's just surprise. I mean the the problem with the tidy package is that I'm not sure where the surprise is gonna come from. Mm -hmm. That I see start at the play and I'm oh this is gonna go this way. Yes. And and so then the idiosyncrasies can, in part, for me, be where humor and pleasure live in, in doing, in, in having a moment of surprise that I certainly want as, as an audience member. I'm just listening for something in my house for a second. Okay. <laughs> Your baby? We're good. All good. Yeah. It's really frustrating that babies can't tell time. <laughs> yeah, fucking babies, eh? 
Like, how old does he have to be for me to teach him what time it is? Like, why does he want to get up at 5.40? Why, Jacob? Why? I don't know. But you're you're describing a two-step problem, though, of teaching him how what time it is and then teaching him not to be awake at 5.30. Yeah, and, and you know what's even more frustrating is I woke up before he woke up. Like, I woke up from a nightmare where, like, I woke up sweaty in my bed, heart pounding. I was in a nightmare where I was at some kind of party on a street and I was walking along with Lara Sadik and then I noticed that there are a number of people wielding guns and dressed up as journalists and I thought this is not going to turn out very well. So I was trying to get us out of the area but then they closed us all in and it was this big hostage taking. So I woke up out of that dream and I thought, Oh, crap. Because I feel like, and this could be my paranoia talking, I feel like he can tell when I wake up and then he wakes up. Like I feel like he has a connection, some kind of psychic connection to my consciousness. And so when I wake up like that, I wake him up. I don't know if it's true or not, but he woke up. Or he's lying there and he hears a little rustle and he's like, ha ha. Yeah. Or, he's, or he could smell my fear because... <laughs> or, or the fear of waking him up is <laughs> what was translated into a hostage taking yeah, in my exactly. dream. In fact, he woke up and you, you dreamt about being taken hostage and that woke you up. And he was like, ah, my plan worked. And I was like... <laughs> Sweaty. Yeah. And then he went to bed later than usual. So, anyhow, blah, blah, blah. That's my love. Are you taking off your sweater? I am taking off my sweater. That didn't sound like anything. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I But I felt like I should narrate. Narrate the, <laughs> the what the silence was. The thing you yeah. were not hearing was Jacob so taking off his sweater. Kind of awkwardly taking off your sweater because yeah. I'm sure you have lots of cables over there too. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the article that you sent? Sure. I, I read the comments section, uh, which even on culture blogs, you shouldn't apparently read the comment That's, section. Yeah, that was what killed it for me because I... So this is... Uh, to do a little bit of context. Yeah. Uh, like, you is... do context. Can you okay. do context and I'll just run down and switch my laundry over? Sure. Okay. And this is where we would add in the the um, our sponsors yeah, at. Exactly. Yeah. Brought to you by. Brought to you by. Insert your name here. Exactly. Okay. I'll be right back. I think it's time. Time to crack the beer. Yeah. I don't know if this will sound like anything. Oh, yeah, that's satisfying. Okay. You can work with that. Great. Okay, so you. So, yeah, there's this article bucket. from CultureBot uh, about a dance festival, largely, but also about agreeing with a critic you don't like. Uh, and clearly having an issue with a particular artist. Mm hmm. 
And a particular performance. And a particular performance. But the part of it that I think got me interested is and is just a question that I'm stressed out about internally is what how how much does the sort of cycle of making work in an experimental frame but still doing it for like a, a pretty small and insular crowd I guess now you froze in the middle of that so start okay. your sentence again right. how good, does because it wasn't a very good one I'm not making sense on what I think about this yeah it's just the insularity and then and relationship to the world I guess what did you think of the article Adrian I'll stop maybe I'll make sense after you talk um like through the article and definitely in the comments which I only got through maybe a third of because they just started to as comments do make me feel quite dirty um I definitely was receiving the snapshot of a community and and I thought the I thought the entire blog post was a little bit it wasn't clear exactly what his main point was so this is what I took away from it I took away a lot of questions about uh, festivals and their role for artists and especially for dance artists I, I do think that dance artists are a lot more vulnerable um, and a lot, it's a lot easier to take dance artists, uh, uh, take advantage of dance artists because because of the nature of the rehearsal day, like the capacity of the body, um, the duration of a work day is shorter, where there's an expectation of that, and so you can kind of get by on this hourly thing that doesn't really amount to a living wage um, a couple hours here a couple hours there and it and it seems to trade so much on passion and 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 youth and energy um, and I think that you know it just seems so that that's kind of an ongoing discussion of whether like festivals need artists to for and not all festivals please don't Please, nobody get mad at me. Well, like not all festivals, but you know, festivals need content. Artists want to have their work out there, and then finding the happy medium where nobody feels like they're being exploited. It seems like he was bringing that up in relationship with that particular festival. So I, I'm always kind of curious about those discussions, which nobody really picked up on in the comments. Thing, and then the other, except for me, I was like, well, what about? And then. The other thing I found interesting was the discussion around the one woman's work who interrupted, whose, whose piece was to interrupt another person's piece uh, quite, it seemed, uh, loudly, unexpectedly, rudely, perhaps one might say using uh, rude language, expletives, and a bullhorn twice right that there was a repetition of this um and it was not set up with the performer the one the sh show that was going on that that wasn't an expectation and so 
it all, so that raised for me similar questions that the um, Olivier Chouinier piece raised for me, the pod, the uh, iPod play that was you listen to as you're watching another play, and it was like a, a, a I haven't seen this, I only read about it in the Globe and Mail, but it was like a, an analysis of a play in Montreal. But there's also, there's a big, I assume in that, that the, the performers didn't know that that was happening. The in Montreal? Yeah. No. Like, there does seem to be a, a, a difference in, you know, if, yeah. if Young's show is to interrupt someone else's show who wasn't, they weren't expecting it. Yeah, and who um, left crying. And who left crying, then that's, then that's different than someone, you know, sneaks some uh, iPods yeah. into a theater and... And secretly... And secretly well, puts on another show. I think that that's the difference between aggression and passive aggression. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's you're still, um, you're still using another person's work to full, you need that other person's work in order to fully express your own idea, and you're doing that without permission. And either you're doing that aggressively where everybody can see it, or you're doing it passive-aggressively as a secret thing, um, is one, both, both I think are, are, um, I think both are expressions in some ways of the same impulse. And maybe I don't I, know one is better than the other. Um, one of the things about it that strikes me is, is this, uh, uh, one punches up one, the radio piece, the podcast piece, whatever the audio in the theater piece, one, it, uh, felt like he was punching up. So like it was working on the institution as much as it was working on those actors. Like it wasn't about those actors. It was the venue and the setting and all of the entrapments. And then there's something in the New York story and these details, but, but I've only like, because there's a place where I feel like I want, if I want to hijack, uh, like Ishvan Kanter in the AGO is different than if it was somebody famous pouring blood on a less famous person's work to me. Like there's a power, power matters in that, in those moments. And in the New York moment, like Anne Liv Young is the superstar. I think. Right. So, um, in the Montreal example, Olivier Chouinard is not the superstar. He's, yeah. Yeah. And, but, and I think actually, I do think that there is something. Or he's, he's not the one with the institutional power. Yeah. And so, so to comment, on institutional power. So, I don't know, Jacob. Like, but it's also, this to me in like, in that the experience of all the other people who had come to see the show in Montreal, that that wasn't hurt. Like that there's a measure of harm for me where I'm like, oh, that's mm -hmm. a really harmless thing. Like to send, you know, it's not, 
that your neighbors, your seats next to you aren't being disrupted. Yeah. You wouldn't have come to the show. They get the ticket sales. Um, I, I still like, No, I hear all of that. I hear what you're saying. Like it's kind of invisible. It's not um, disrupting anyone else's experience. It's it's definitely would enraged the artists after the fact, but not during the fact. Um, but at the same time, the expression of this piece depended upon another piece that you're using without permission. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I've, I have a, a looser sense of, of <laughs> required permission. I mean, I think it's like, this is a hard case cause I don't, I don't know enough about the dynamics yeah, and you know what? Neither of us witnessed either of these. Yeah. So let's let's continue to speculate, uh, which is better. Okay, but so the the perhaps interesting part of of that article beyond sort of it's like, oh my goodness, there's a fight in New York. Like there's clearly a fight going on in downtown New York right now. Mm -hmm. um, I loved how he kept putting like downtown in quotes. And well, because it's not downtown; like it's Brooklyn. Except for a few old theaters, right? Like the downtown scene is not mm -hmm. necessarily located downtown anymore. But is one in in also I guess a conversation on on Spiderweb show is about critique and that he it feels like a harsh piece. It feels like a surprising blog post, like it is somebody calling out their own community, and at a certain level is naming names in a way that. You know, one of the comments is like, good luck ever working again. It's like, yeah, that's the problem here is that nobody, that's mm -hmm. the problem is that he has sat on a bunch of feelings for a long time mm -hmm. because to express them would be to alienate himself from a community that he relies on for his income. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess it's also, it's a thing that I think about in arts in Canada, which is such a small community mm -hmm. that, that it doesn't get said that, that articles like this aren't talked about. People's bad behavior isn't talked about mm -hmm. people's like, which, which are the, you know, at what point do you start naming the festivals that aren't? Oh. But people's bad behavior is certainly talked about. It's just talked about in bars, right? Right. And it's talked about at coffee shops. It's not talked about in print and it's not, and it's, it's even possibly talked about around the jury table, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that puts, so, so it's there, it's happening. And is that enough? Well, you know, I, I do firmly believe that there is room for all, all of these pieces. And so, you know, to go back and say, uh, the, the, those choices that these artists that we were talking about earlier made to use other people's work, blah, 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 without permission, blah, 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 those are not choices that I would make. 
but I, and I certainly have my opinions, but I wouldn't stop them from making it because I, because I kind of believe in it had like there, there is room for all of it. And so there's either room for all of it or there's not. That to me is like the, is one of those things. But there's not, I mean, I don't, it's a, yeah, I guess I like, there's not room for, and maybe, and this is part of the thing around Andy's thing that I like is, I don't think there is particularly room for assault. As performance? Yeah. Or like, like and, and that's also like, I'm also the guy in the rehearsal rooms these days who like, I'm not. I am so not interested in our toe. Like our toe to me is not that whole line of thinking is, is not like is, is more than aesthetically uninteresting to me. It is a little bit morally questionable. Mm-hmm. Like I, I am morally uncomfortable with it and not in a like, Oh, I'm too polite. It's, no, I mean, yes, I am too polite, but it's based on the world I w- would rather inhabit is one that is polite. And having never been convinced of anything by being yelled at by a stranger, like I, I am more interested in other ways of approaching other people. But isn't that the thing, like... Um... To separate, I think that this is, this is part of the discussion about critique. So the ability to separate our subjective opinions and preferences and how those, how the kind of world we want to be in, the, the kind of we, world we want to manifest uh, shapes our preferences and the kind of art that we want to experience. And that is different than... Um, those preferences are different than, uh, those are the things that tell us whether we like or dislike a show, right? And that's different than being able to see the show and say, yes, you know, that's a good show. That Arto show is really good. They really yell at you. <laughs> I don't know. Like, and that, but it's not my kind of show. It's not the kind of show I want to make. It's not the kind of show I would want to see again. I'm not the intended audience for that show. That doesn't mean that it's not a va- like it's not crap like well crafted. No, that there's rigor into it. But to so so to be the extreme version of myself. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I could take it. <laughs> uh, no, but the the. I mean, it's hard, and because I I say the word, because I I think like oh, if it's if we're if we are supporting things purely because they're well crafted, um, like I want people to think about does this show that I'm doing make the world better or worse? Like it's not that we're going to fix the world with theater. I'm I'm fine with not doing that. Um, <laughs> You've come to terms. I've come to, I mean, barely and not really, but 
I can pretend that I have. Uh, but I think those, like, you know, well-crafted, horrific gender stereotypes <sighs> aren't better than, like, st- need to be spoken out more about, in fact, to me, than poorly crafted ones because they're not going to get funding because of craft. But if things that yeah. are supportive of a a world that, yes, of course, to me is less interesting to live in and less less kind on a very basic level mm-hmm. to as many people as possible, mm-hmm. that if there's work that is not doing that, I can say, like, it's great crafted stuff, but it's got problems and I and it's not that I want it banned but but I do want it spoken out loud about well how many times have you seen a show and said well aside from the gender politic it's a pretty good show aside from the racial politic if I if I just put the racial politics out of that the cultural politics out of my mind it's a good show good story good acting all that I I think I I I go through that thought process less. <laughs> like I just, I, I mean, I've, I've walked out of shows where I was like, oh yeah, fine. The actors were great line by line. Terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a problematic show because it's. But so, yeah. Okay. So we're agreed on that. Like that, that there's, I feel like we're, we're mm-hmm. kind of sitting in the same territory and we share that opinion. So are we in the minority or what? Because. I don't think, I really don't think all of our colleagues share an investment in grappling with the ways in which our work is uh, shoring up or, or supporting a status quo that is problematic. Thank you. Thank you. Something interesting and and um, sorry, I did the I broke the rule, the scratchy rule. But I found a little bit of dried something on the table. Right. <laughs> Bet that happens more often now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's fun. We have a 5-month rule in terms of picking food up off the floor and eating it. It's <laughs> good. Yeah. Five months. Like, That's fine. What is that? What is that you eat? Oh, it's a desiccated pea. No problem. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's not gonna go. Like when it goes bad, it doesn't go far. No, it's just dry. It's just dry. But if you're into it, it's a bit dusty. It's good for your immune system. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, friend. Uh, let's talk soon. Take care. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye.